Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The last thing that you mentioned was one thing that was on my list. When you're persuading anyone, to a certain extent, you need to meet them where they're at. And so if you've got a bunch of very hard-nosed calculations-based engineers, can you provide them with that evidence? I've just been into a petrol station and he said, this happened and that happened and then that happened. And he said, it made me realize that everything you've been talking about has suddenly, all of it came together and I now understand what you mean. And yeah, we now want to go ahead and we want to do this and we want to do that. And he was really excited. When I got an opportunity to present to the board, I played that interaction back. People's hands went onto their heads as if to say, my goodness, I can't believe how we're badly <laughs> we're treating our customers. <laughs> Ryan, another pickle, mate. Great, let's hear it. I love pickles, but this is a pickle that's a bit close to home. It's effectively around how do you build a long-term relationship? Relationship pickles, sure. Yes, I like it. Well, it made me start thinking about my relationships. It also made me start thinking about pickles, but sure, that's another Sure, it often does. <laughs> So let me, let me start off by reading Tina from New Zealand. It just goes to show where this show gets to now, uh, all the way over to New Zealand. I know, it's amazing. And it's interesting, actually. I think I counted it the other day. There's only 16 countries in the world that haven't listened to this show. All right, I want that list. We need to do some targeted advertising now. Yeah, no, it's incredible. It's incredible where people are listening to the show from. So let me read the uh, pickle to you. Tina starts by saying, love your podcast. Thank you. I particularly like you, but don't like Ryan because he's a bit She did stupid. not say that. That okay. was not in there. So, okay. Stop okay. it. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think I'm ready to diagnose some of your relationship problems. <laughs> she did say, love your podcast. Okay. Uh, That's and she said, thank you. I, w I will concede to the fact that she didn't say that she prefers me to you. But I'm, I'm, I'm just reading that into the words that she's sure, she was clearly <laughs> thinking it. Yeah. She works for an engineering company in Australia. I've recently joined the New Zealand office, approximately 500 people. My key focus is on customer experience and development. They have approximately failed five times to become more customer-centric in New Zealand. And that's been over the last four years. So she goes on to say, how do you get clever people to understand that building long-term relationships is better than a transactional approach to work? I have come from a very customer-centric business, so I'm surprised by this lack of engagement. The business is often asking technical experts, in brackets engineers, to have dual roles, as they don't believe that the clients wants to have sales relationships too. Many thanks, Tina. P.S., Colin, you're a lot better than Ryan. You realize I've got these letters in front of me too, right? <laughs> that was a good pickle. 
It is a pickle, isn't it? You were editorializing and, aside. That was a good pickle. <laughs> it is a pickle. And I think it's an interesting one as well, because I've certainly seen that there are different categories, types of industries that buy into this process much more than others. So as soon as Tina said the word engineering, yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, okay, understand that. Because it just says something about the organization, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, engineers tend to, on average, be very bright people, very good at what they do, but they also have a, a certain approach to solving problems, maybe a little bit more logical focused, uh, maybe what, what we might typically consider kind of rational approaches. And then they also can often project that onto their customers and, and other people involved and assume that what they like or what they think they like, because I think that's something we're going to talk about too, is what other people will also like in terms of an approach. So let's pick this apart and let's go into some of the detail of this, because the reason I, as soon as you say the word engineering, it made me think of it automatically made me think of a number of organizations that we've dealt with where I've personally encountered the problems that you're talking about, Tina. And engineering companies, if you look at the culture of the organization, as Ryan says, clearly highly intelligent people, but with a particular bent to the practical, the if I do this, then that happens. A spreadsheet orientation. Yeah, yeah. A, a more physical orientation as well, just from an if I put this bridge up here, then what happens? How do I make sure it doesn't collapse? And therefore, by definition, if I looked at another industry and I turned around and said, I don't know, the hospitality industry or hotels, or I turned around and said, think of a organization like a software company or McKinsey or Accenture, they would absolutely believe in building a relationship with an organization. So I think the issue for me is that you've really got to solve the problem of how do you get clever people to understand that building relationships is better than the transactional approach. For me, you've got to recognize that they are clever people. You've got to start to run a campaign to effectively convert them, okay? The one that springs to my mind is a story that I think I may have told before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's really important in this context, is we were doing some work in a water utility in the UK. The guy that was running uh, customer service, customer experience at the time, had been promoted there a year before from the engineering side of a, of a water utility. And I remember going in there and talking to him about an emotional customer experience and why that was important, all those other things that we normally talk about. And I remember thinking, this is a bit of an uphill struggle because he doesn't seem to, and what we talk about is getting it. Mm -hmm. Do they get it? And I always remember one Saturday morning, about six months after we started chatting to them, I got a call, which was unusual to get a call at the weekend, a business call at the weekend, and it was this guy. And he phoned and said, Colin, he said, I've just been into a petrol station. And he said, this happened and that happened and then that happened. And he said, it made me realize that everything you've been talking about has suddenly, all of it came together, and I now understand what you mean. And yeah, we now want to go ahead and we want to do this and we want to do that. 
And he was really excited. And what I found is when you get people to convert from being a skeptic to being a disciple, effectively, they are the biggest fans that you can have because they've seen the error of their ways. I wouldn't say error to people, but they've seen the light. And I think it's about, if I look back and said, well, what did we do? What we did was we told them lots of stories. We've just done a podcast on that about different examples and showed people or showed them what other organizations were doing in that story form. But we also gave them some evidence. So we appealed to the left part of their brain as well. Does that make sense? You know that this is going to be another one of these shows, mate, where you don't get a word in edgewise, don't you? Yes, yes, I'm aware. Colin has certain topics on which it's best to just give him his lead and let him go. (laughs) I think you raised several excellent points there. The, The last thing that you mentioned was one thing that was on my list. When you're persuading anyone, to a certain extent, you need to meet them where they're at. And so if you've got a bunch of very hard-nosed calculations-based engineers, can you provide them with that evidence? You know, maybe you can go back through your books and point out and actually create a spreadsheet and say, look, these are the long-term relationships clients that we've had, and they're this profitable for us. And then this is how much it costs us to acquire a new customer as opposed to keeping a current customer. These are the things that our customers have told us, right? So if you can create a numbers-based approach for numbers-oriented people, that is on average going to be compelling. Stories is another one. That was also on my list. I'm glad you, you raised it. Telling them best practices in other organizations in their industry will help. Also, though, can you make it more personal? So you as a business have business relationships with firms that you buy from, right? So it might be where you get your copy paper or it might be you know where you get your engineering software. Can you quiz these engineers and say, well, why is it that you use this firm that we've been going back to them for years and years? And I'm sure that their first response will be, well, because they're the best and they do this, 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 and respond in a very transactional way. If you push on that, I'm sure you will find under the surface a relationship there, right? And well, there was that one time when things went wrong, they responded immediately and, and you know, we always feel like they, they respect us and have our back. And, and, and so if you can get them to observe in their own hyper-rational behavior, the fact that they value relationships in the B2B transactions that they engage in in the firm, that also might help them kind of get it, as Colin was saying. I totally agree. And I, I would extend that theory as well to their personal lives. I do this again often with clients, which is through questioning through just chatting to them even looking around their office and seeing the types of things that they do the hobbies they may have or whatever else through the pictures and stuff like that that they may have from their personal life think about talk to them about the relationships that they have talk to them about even being married one of the key things for me is getting them to realize Why are they with the partner that they are with, the significant other that they are with? And is that just a transactional relationship that they have with their partner? What does that mean to you? 
But you absolutely, as Ryan says, you need to also appeal to them from that logical side. And again, I've mentioned this before, but we, for my third book, The DNA of Customer Experience, How Emotions Drive Value, the, the catalyst for that was we were presenting to a German insurance company in Munich. And one of the guys there basically challenged us and said, why do we need to focus on customer emotions effectively? We're doing okay now in this transactional approach. And he said to me, Colin, prove to me that this stuff works. And at that point, we couldn't. We ended up doing two years worth of research with London Business School to identify 20 emotions that drive and destroy value. That was all in the DNA of Customer Experience book. We'll put a link to the book in the show notes. The point I'm trying to trying to get to is that resulted in what we call an emotional signature, which now shows the value that you can gain by building a relationship with your customers, okay? And you can equate a number to it, okay? Why am I telling you all this? Because that's the proof. And that's the proof that you need to give people to show them the science behind the numbers. So you're not just saying to them, well, what's the relationship like with your wife and or your husband or whoever? What's the relationship that you have in buying a car? Why do you always go to this place? But you're also putting it in number form and they can see the science behind it. Another way to make this concrete is to articulate all of the the hidden costs and benefits in numbers or in as close to numbers as you can get. So for example, it's almost always the case that uh, keeping a client is cheaper than acquiring a new client. Can you articulate that? Can you actually get some numbers to back that up? Absolutely. You know, if you talk about innovation, firms that are have better relationships with their, their customers are going to, on average, have a better understanding of not just what the customers want for this transaction, but what are their larger problems? You might be able to develop new solutions because you understand your customers better than the competition does. And so that'll put you ahead on the innovation curve. You might be able to actually articulate that in numbers and say like, look, how did we solve the last big problem that we had to solve for clients? And where did we get that information? And how much easier was it to sell because we were six months ahead of competition on that? And really try to kind of map this out and back it up with as many numbers as you can. How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? What drives and destroys most value for you? And what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. And we look forward to talking to you. The other key thought for me is it would be interesting in this organization, who is the top salesperson and do they sell through having a relationship with the customer? 
how long have they been dealing with these clients? Because typically in in areas where I used to work, and and certainly my background is working in sales organizations uh, that are in the B2B environment, that relationships are key. It's typically the people with the best EQ, emotional intelligence, who have got the best relationships. And those organizations tend to spend the most money. Okay, so what's the approach that those are taking? And the other thing I'd like to raise as well, Tina, which I think is potentially part of your answer or the answer for you, is what draw the parallel of what other organizations are doing from around the globe. So you're in New Zealand, okay? Well, how do engineering companies in the, the UK and the US deal with it? Do they focus on experts? Are there case studies of this type of work where you can show that building a relationship with a customer, even in an engineering company, produces the results for you? I think you need to recognize that different parts of the world are different, basically. And what I mean by that is that if you talked about in the US, building a relationship is key. Everyone, I think, would be going, yeah, well, of course it is. But it seems that in this organization, or and I presume it's not New Zealand as a whole, having five failed attempts. It's great that they're attempting it. It's even better that they've done it for five times. But the other part for me would be, well, what in the bloody hell's gone wrong in the other in the other ones? Whilst that shows that the senior management have tried it five times, they really can't be that serious if they've let it fail five times. Sorry, Ryan, I'm taking up all the, all no, the show. Again. These are all very good points. The last one on my list is just a consideration of your strategic differentiation, right? So it's a very strong place to be if you're engineering solutions or consulting, whatever it is that this company is selling. If it is markedly different in some way that the competition can't replicate. The reality is, though, oftentimes the physical products, the characteristics of the product that you're offering or the specific services that you're offering tend to, on average, be the easiest things for competition to replicate, right? And so there's the, always this danger of an area becoming commoditized where all of the software available kind of does more or less the same stuff or all of the products in a category are kind of more or less the same. And that the two big ways from kind of a marketing standpoint that you can try to defend yourself are through branding, through having a series of associations that people find positive, and then through relationships and experience. And so you can pitch this to the, the engineering firm as a way of being more sustainably differentiated. Like our, our products are great and our clients love our products. And we will continue to be superior on that. But harder for a competitor to come in and compete directly against is if you also have a great, strong, years-long relationship with some of these clients. And that's just a, a defensive position that is great to be in. So there's, I think there's a, a business strategy component to this as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, have you heard of FUD, Ryan? No. Uh, Elmer? No. No, oh, okay. it used to be, I believe, an IBM tactic, sales tactic, which is FUD means fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Building on what you were just saying is I would be 
putting fear, uncertainty, and doubt into the organization. And what I mean by that is going, yeah, we've got a really good product and it's really, you know, transactional approach and we're really doing well, et cetera, et cetera. But hey, what happens if somebody comes along here that's that has got a similar type of services, as Ryan was just saying? Shouldn't we be building this relationship as this defense, as, as Ryan just articulated? So implementing FUD is good. There's one call out, and again, we'll put a link to this in the show notes because this may help again, Tina. One link that um, I want to share with you is Maersk Line. We did some work with the Maersk Line. Uh, For those of you that don't know Maersk Line, Maersk are the largest container shipping company in the world. And we did some work with them uh, a little while ago, and they improved their net promoter score by 40 points over a 30-month period which led to a 10% rise in shipping volume. So a really big change. It's one of our sort of big case studies. And as I say, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, why am I raising this? Well, guess what? If you're in container shipping, then you employ people that are very left brain because logistics is a very left brain process. And therefore, the culture from a a left brain perspective is similar to that engineering culture. And what we did was to get these clever people to understand things was one of the things I always remember doing was I actually phoned up and pretended that I wanted to ship some goods in a container. And I recorded the interaction with their permission, by the way, or with one of the people in the company's permission. And I recorded that. And then when I got an opportunity to present to the board, who were always very left brain, yeah, I played that interaction back. And people's hands went onto their heads as if to say, my goodness, I can't believe how we're badly <laughs> we're treating our customers. Yeah, <laughs> So facing them with some of the realities of the transactional approach that you are taking and asking them the question, is this how you would like to be treated as a customer, is another approach to doing things. One final thing that I wanted to raise, and I'm going to tell you a bit of a secret of mine. Ryan and I often talk about the fact that actually this stuff is really easy because when you talk about all the stuff that we talk about in the podcast, it's really easy because what we're talking about is human beings. Okay. And one of the things I do is I like to read topics in sort of related but unrelated areas. Okay. So, in preparation for this podcast, I went on to a website and I'll put a link in the show notes again. And the top search came up from a company called uh, healthguide.org and it's tips on building healthy relationships. Okay. If you were to go down and you were to talk about, well, how do we actually build healthy relationships? I thought that this may help. Uh, So I'm just going to read you a few of the tips from this building healthy relationships. And by the way, I'm now talking about relationships with your partners. I'm not talking business. I'm talking in your personal life. So this is all about your personal life. 
But the point I'm trying to make is, and part of the secret is, you could actually just replace the word sort of, it doesn't have to be about your personal relationships. It could just be about a business relationship because guess what? It's the, it's the same things. So let me go down to tip one. Tip one is spend quality time face-to-face, which I think is, is really good. Absolutely what you should do to build a relationship. So what would that mean for you, Tina, or for the organization? Well, they would need to spend time face-to-face. Tip two, stay connected through communications. Again, can't argue with that. This is all good stuff, isn't it, Ryan? Eh? Yeah, this is great. Stay connected through communications. And it goes on to talk about good communications, the funded part of a healthy relationship, blah, blah, blah. You can read it all, all yourself. I'm not going to rattle on a, about it, but um, you get the idea. This one probably doesn't apply, which is keep physical intimacy alive. Uh, so I'm just going <laughs> to move on from that one and go, well, that's where my secret doesn't work. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Any metaphor, if you push it far enough, it's going to break down. I think that's, that's where this one goes. It is. It is. The next one is tip four, learn to give and take in your relationship. And again, I think that's a, a really important one. It's not just about what the organization gets out of it. It's what you can give back to the customer and building that win-win. And sometimes that means that the organization needs to give the customer something that they maybe don't want to do. But for the sake of building a long-term relationship, then that's worthwhile. And the last tip is be prepared for ups and downs. So other than my marriage, of course, mm-hmm. we only ever have ups. Um, that's in case my wife's listening to this. We can actually get her on, Colin, and have her <laughs> give her opinion about that. But the organization definitely needs to prepare for ups and downs in the relationships that you have. So I just thought that was that was interesting to go, well, if you did go down this route, maybe those are some tips on how to do it. And I also wanted to sort of express to people that they should be not just looking at customer experience things. The reality is, is I don't actually read many customer experience blogs because the trouble is it becomes an echo chamber if you do, and you've got to spread your influence and spread your, your thoughts. Any other practical thoughts, Ryan, from from you to help solve Tina's problem? So one occurred to me as you're reading that list, and I, I I did like the list. Humans evolved to handle certain situations. In other words, we evolved to have these interpersonal relationships, and then now we're we're faced with these settings where we have relationships across businesses. And so, yeah, we, we do rely on a lot of the same kind of cognitive machinery to handle both types. So it's not surprising that there are parallels to managing your interpersonal relationships and your business relationships. I thought that was a good list. But one thing that occurred to me is since we're dealing with some left brain rational thinkers, are there ways that we can break this down and make the process of improving relationships kind of more left brain? If we're getting pushback on, oh, make people feel more secure or more confident or, oh, that sounds too squishy. I don't want to deal with that. If instead we could say something like, look, you need to call all your clients once a quarter to just like check in and see if they have any other needs. So in other words, we're we're moving kind of down to the more concrete level of allowing opportunities for contact, which will then facilitate a relationship 
if we're getting re- resistance at the level of, hey, you should have a strong relationship. It's like, hey, why don't you do this tactical thing? That will end up facilitators. Obviously, it's better if you can get people on board and get them excited about the relational management side of this. But as an intermediary step, you might be able to kind of build in metrics and build in policies that facilitate forming relationships as a way of getting people on board with understanding how relationships can benefit them in the long run. Yeah, I'm, I'm building on that. You've just made, made me think of another good idea as well, Ryan, which is building this sort of incrementally. Yeah. Typically, the area that most organizations fail on is communication. Yep. Yeah. And if we know that from that list I've just read out, that communications is a key part of building a long-term relationship, then maybe just talk to them about going, well, let's improve the way that we communicate to our customers. Yep. And don't talk to them about building a relationship and you do it incrementally that way i hope that's been of use if you have a pickle then please just drop us a line the really good news is that we're getting a lot more of these next week's show is going to be about how to end a long-term relationship with customers with another pickle but if you got a pickle and you I'd like to share it with us and and Ryan and I to pontificate on what you should be doing, then just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. I'm sorry to do this, Colin. I just, I thought of one more. Tina, if if you are in a relationship with a a podcast co-host, you can strengthen that by not lying about letters that come in and, and who's preferable to the audience and who they like more. I'll just leave that as a parting bit of suggestion, too. Thank you for that, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I come up with these ideas sometimes. You must be referring to some other some other co-host that you're doing another show oh, with. Oh, remember. not me at all. This is advice for <laughs> Tina. <laughs> we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.